Amen. Thank you, Dean. Good morning, everybody. You are very welcome at this point to turn off your camera and uh, find a settled and comfortable position to uh, just spend a few minutes here in quiet. Um, St. Teresa of Calcutta, that's as she is known now, uh, said, We need to find God, and God cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. So let's just quiet everything down and be still. And we'll use the sentence um, from Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Just rest in that stillness and be. And I'm going to slowly read some ancient song lyrics to focus our attention on God, the God who sees us and knows us and is delighted in us. O eternal one, you have explored my heart and know exactly who I am. You even know the small details like when I take a seat and when I stand up again. Even when I am far away, you know what I am thinking. You observe my wanderings and my sleeping, my waking and my dreaming, and you know everything I do in more detail than even I know. You know what I'm going to say long before I say it. It is true, eternal one, that you know everything and everyone. You have surrounded me on every side, behind me and before me, and you have placed your hand gently on my shoulder. It is the most amazing feeling to know how deeply you know me, inside and out. The realisation of it is so great that I cannot comprehend it.
O Eternal One, you have explored my heart and know exactly who I am. And let's end this um, together by just using Psalm 46 in reverse. B. Be still. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. And welcome back. Open your eyes, turn on your camera if you turned it off. And we'll pray for Eden before she speaks to us this morning. Eternal One, I pray that you would bless my friend today. I pray that she would speak words that bring us life and fullness to overflowing, just as they've been to her as she's been preparing them. May we hear your voice as Eden speaks today, God. And may we see you in her, in ourselves and in each other, in our wider community and the world that you've created. Amen. Good morning. Um, my passage today in our series on the Beatitudes is um, from Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Um, I'm not quite sure how I landed on this passage, um, but this last week and a half or so that I've been working with it and just diving into it, I've just really, really enjoyed the process of this. And I hope that what I've been able to um, distill will be something that um, will make a difference for you today. So, um, most of you know that my mom passed away in April after a long battle with Alzheimer's. And um, this disease stripped her down from being an extremely capable and accomplished woman to someone who could no longer name her children or even tell you how many children she had. She did not have an easy upbringing. She was the daughter of immigrants who worked extremely hard to farm and make a life in this new country. Her father was an alcoholic who beat his son and left my mom with a lot of trauma due to his actions. Her mother was abandoned by her living parents and relatives took my grandmother in and ultimately uh, sexually abused her and beat her mercilessly. My mother's father, my grandfather died at the age of 42 of a massive heart attack when my mom was 16 years old. She had two younger sisters when her dad died. One was six years old, the other 15 months old. She quit high school immediately and went straight to work in order to help her mom make ends meet. But ultimately her mom lost the farm 
and then was ridiculed and judged by people in the church for having to go on welfare. My mom had a lot of valid reasons for being bitter and angry and to wash her hands of the church. But she wasn't and she didn't. And I think I know her secret. It was only in the last decade or so of my mom's life when her inhibitions began to lower that the story started to emerge. Some of the stories she told were absolutely horrifying. And I would try to comfort her when she started to get stuck in those old memories. I would hold my mom's face so that we were eye to eye and I would wait for that moment when there was a connection and then I would say, but we're here now, mom. And then I would start to tell her of my childhood memories of days on the farm and the most amazing camping holidays where she would always have another surprise in store. I would remind her of our beautiful garden and the way she would share the flowers in the garden and the produce that would grow there. I wanted her to know that none of the horrors of her childhood had been passed on to her children. And even in hindsight, I can find no hints or leakage of her childhood trauma seeping out onto us in our home life. And I find that miraculous. Almost exactly a year before she passed away, I had my last day out with my mom. We went and got her hair done at her favorite place. And then I took her to a local nursery to see and smell the fresh spring flowers. She was already quite limited in her conversations, but two messages came out clearly throughout that morning. She stood by the first bench of spring flowers and took a deep breath and then said, isn't God's creation beautiful? She repeated that statement every few minutes as we wound our way through all of the rows and by all of the baskets. And she was positively twinkling. And the other message she would come around to every few minutes was this. Oh, I love you. It did not matter that she no longer spoke my name or even understood how we were related. She only knew that there was a love connection between us. And somehow, some of the last words she was able to remember just happened to be, I love you. When the responsibility for her care became too much for my 85 year old dad, we had to put her into extended care. And I accompanied my dad and mom on that day. My mom saw me and said, I know you and opened her arms for a hug. We held each other and she must have said, I love you a dozen times. And that is a memory I go to when I miss her most. My passage today is Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I think the key my mom had and used in her lifetime was purity of heart. And I don't mean she was pure and sinless. 
but there was something about how she navigated her life that allowed her to not become bitter and angry. Rather, she could see God long after her circumstances could be used as a blinder to seeing God. More recently in our church history, we have seen a culture of purity arise that is predominantly focused on sexual purity. This purity of heart is not that, or might I say it's much more than that. The purity of heart that allows us to see God is the kind of purity that has us face and address with ruthless honesty any desire or affection or attachment we might have that blocks out our view of God. This purity is not about our outward demeanor. It's not about acting apart and hiding our secrets. Purity of heart is actually, in my estimation, not a permanent position or a place we actually land. Purity of heart is more like weeding the garden, pulling out rocks that impede growth and trimming the hedges. These things will have to be done over and over again, because it's a lifestyle choice. My parents had a very large garden on our yard and they tended it well. When I was young, my parents would have all of us kids help out when it came time to weed or harvest the produce. Being only four or five, when I was first initiated into this family ritual, I had no idea what a weed was. First, I thought that maybe everything green was a weed, but no, that wasn't true. I was positioned beside my mom so that she could help me to learn which of the green plants growing in the garden were weeds and which were actually things we wanted to let grow. And as I recall, the first thing I learned was that a particular plant with green leaves and red stems called portulaca was always okay to pull out. So I focused on that weed only. And then slowly as I grew and as I was able to identify green things more specifically, I learned about the other plants in our garden that weren't conducive to having a good harvest. Long after we kids were gone and no longer were there to help with weeding, my parents would go out in the early morning and walk up and down the rows and pull up any new rebels in the garden. I remember someone asking my, asking my mom once what they sprayed on the garden to keep it so free of weeds. And my mom said, we don't spray anything on our garden. We pull up the weeds, put them in a bucket and walk them to the compost pile. We never leave the weeds in the garden to reroot. And there's a good picture. There isn't a magic insecticide or something that can just wave over the garden to rid it of weeds. It's just a purposeful and authentic rhythm of walking through your garden, recognizing the weeds, pulling them up and carrying them away. When we talk about purity of heart, we're talking about the well from which we engage with life. It's like having a well that you draw all your water from. 
If the water is pure, you can drink from it without having to worry that you'll get sick. But if there are toxins or impurities in the water, it will begin to make you sick. In Matthew 22, Jesus describes what a pure heart will look like. That's, this is verse 37 and 39. Love the Lord your God with every passion of the heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend and neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. The journey into purity leads us to both loving God and people with a new depth and honesty. The purity Jesus describes in this sermon isn't the kind of purity that the Pharisees were caught up in teaching. It was outward, ceremonial, and religious. And it was what Jesus was talking about was far more expansive than that. Jesus points to the impurity as impurities of hate and greed, the attachments we have to things, our selfish ambitions, unforgiveness, disregard for the lost and the least, and might I add, self-loathing, shame, and insecurity. These kinds of impurities in our heart, in our well, taint us. And when we allow them to continue to poison our well, we lose our ability to see God. How does it work? Well, our well is polluted with ambition. And when climbing the ladder is our goal, we lose sight of how God provides for us. We might slap a hashtag blessed on our Facebook page, but we know that it has been our own efforts and ruthlessness that have allowed us to reach our lofty heights. Let me tell you about one of our sons. He had just graduated from university and had landed himself a really great job. He had done a year long internship with this company and they were so pleased with his work that they had hired him before he had even finished school. Shortly after he had started working full time, he was offered a new position. It was a promotion that included a substantial pay raise. He went to the interview and cruised through it. But when he was asked if he wanted to ask any questions of the committee, he said this. I understand that if I take this job, I will be leapfrogging my present manager, gaining seniority over them and making more money than her. I am unwilling to do that unless you offer her a promotion and at least as, as much money as you are offering me. I don't have to tell you how proud I am of my son. The purity of heart that he displayed for his superiors not only surprised them, but got him the job and his manager a raise. Purity of heart creates a base for us to make clear good, concise, godly decisions. And when you've taken care of the debris in your heart, the toxins and the impurities, then when called on to make a decision or move into action, you are not encumbered by all the shit in the way. You can see God clearly. 
clarifying our motives, doing a deep clean on those rascals helps us to come to a place of purity of heart. So we ask, what moves me to serve? What draws me to meet needs? What do I do or why do I do anything? If our motives are self-serving, then whatever tickle you get out of doing or saying or being anything is all there is. On the other hand, if you work on filtering out all the toxins associated with impure motives, stuff like being in the know and fulfilling your own agenda and having leverage, the ripple effects of your selfless and pure offerings are pretty limitless. You will see how God multiplies even the smallest of offerings. Purity of heart could also be described as reflecting God. When the impurities are removed, the mirror is clean and reflects God more accurately. When the mirror has condensation and toothpaste spit and makeup splatter and soap scum and dried water drops all over it, there are things that are not going to be reflected all that well. The purity of our hearts could be measured by how near we have positioned our own hearts to God's. Brad and I attended a marriage retreat a few years ago where we were asked to do an exercise. We were to position ourselves in a way that our physical hearts would be as close as possible. So that was chest to chest or sitting one right behind the other, chest to back. And the purpose of this was to synchronize our breathing and our heartbeats. And it actually takes a very short period of time for our bodies to synchronize at that level. So that made me wonder, if we can remain close to God, our hearts next to God's heart, would that not help us purify our hearts because we are synchronized with God's? Some of us have lost sight of God as we have moved away from the organized church and have deconstructed our faith. I believe you can deconstruct without losing sight of God, but it will require you to do some weeding in your heart. Or better yet, what if weeding our hearts with Jesus is healthy deconstruction? If you leave the church angry and bitter and don't do the personal work necessary to free you of those toxins, you may just begin to lump God in with the church and walk away from him too. Steve Stewart uh, is a local guy who has moved to New Mexico, has just recently written a book on the Beatitudes. And this is what he said. What is denied cannot be healed, but what, but what is acknowledged and confessed opens the door for the spirit's cleansing process, even when it means facing unvarnished truths about ourselves. Allow love to filter through your heart so that anything that exists there that is contrary to love can be addressed and removed to make space for more love. Do the heart work, recognizing that some of the toxins in your well were put there by others, by broken systems, 
by disingenuous leaders, by misguided teaching. And that's not your fault. But none of the toxins in your well were put there by God. God is only pure and his presence in your life will filter out those impurities. And a word to the wise, if you are wounded in community, you will likely need to be healed in community. I want to encourage each of you to spend some time weeding your heart's garden. Identify the toxins that reside in your well. Do you, do you feel ashamed for believing some of the things you were taught? Are you still holding resentments for things said or done to you? Do you have attachments to ways of being that you know are not pure and get in the way of you seeing God? Does your desire for more of anything cause you to step on or over others? Are you committed to being number one? Or do you hate yourself? Do you wish harm on others? Have you chosen to sit on the seat of judgment rather than the mercy seat? Is it difficult for you to be honest? As you do this heart work, please don't go to your heart without meeting Jesus there. If you think you need to do the weeding before you can invite Jesus to your heart, then you're still drinking the Kool-Aid. We do the weeding with Jesus. Recognize that God is in the process. Give God a sample of the water in your well, and he will not only show you what's there, but will have the antidote, the cure for the sickness you have. God will not show you what needs to be pulled up out of your garden in order to shame you. God doesn't do shame, but he will expose it in order for you to be free of it. He will show you what needs pulling up and out and then tell you what could grow in that place instead. The goal here in doing this heart work is to see God. I can't count how many times I have heard a person say, I just can't see God in this, or I can't hear God's voice. I hold on to several basic truths that I've experienced in my relationship with God. And one of them is that Emmanuel is a true name for God. God is with us. And if we can't see God or hear God or sense God's presence, then there's likely something obstructing the view or blocking our ears. It might be as simple as missing the forest for the trees. Have you ever wondered where God is in a difficult situation and you feel abandoned and lost? And your prayer is, where are you, God? And it sounds like a judgment because you're assuming God has left you. Change the inflection on those same words, and suddenly you're offering an invitation. Where are you, God? And then you open your eyes and you see the friend sitting with you, or you feel your partner's arms around you, or you hear the words of love and acceptance being spoken to you, and you recognize that God is with you using his creation to speak to you and show himself to you. There's a progression that happens as we clear out the trash, filter the well and weed the garden. We begin to see 
and hear God more and more. Suddenly all of creation is clamoring to share the good news. You may find yourself standing in front of a familiar face, but hearing a different voice because you're suddenly recognizing God's voice coming out of your friend. Or you might find yourself arrested by the kind of actions of a stranger who is embodying Jesus to you. I think I've told you this story before, but it still uh, shakes me to the core and I'm gonna tell you again. Two years ago, I was recovering from thyroid surgery and had an early morning appointment with a surgeon. Brad was out of town and a friend asked if she could accompany me to the appointment. At the appointment, I was shocked to hear that what they had removed was sketchy. That's the medical term. But they had determined that it was not cancer. Of course, I was relieved, but I was really rattled too. And I had not expected to hear that at all. My friend suggested we go for coffee. And as I sat on the patio at Starbucks waiting for my friend to return with our drinks, I was sorting out my feelings. My friend sat down with the drinks and suddenly I felt a presence over my shoulder. I turned to see a man. His skin was dark and leathered by the summer sun and he was straddling a bike, dressed all in black and looking at me. He laid down a white rose wrapped in a black bandana. I had no words. I only had a sense of the holiness of this moment. He moved it closer to me and then he said, this is for you. I looked down at it and back at him, still no words. He looked back at the rose and said, I'm supposed to give this to you. I just picked it, it's for you. And then he got on his bike and rode away. Who do you, who do you suppose told him to give me that rose? I'm pretty sure this man was either homeless or struggling in life. But does it matter? A stranger with no ties to me, no knowledge of my state, picked a rose, wrapped it in a bandana so I wouldn't prick myself on the thorns and stopped to give it to me. A stranger. With eyes to see, we will see Jesus everywhere. We will hear God's voice coming out of unlikely places and we will be drawn into the sweetest of relationships with God. This beatitude is about sanctification, the lifelong process of becoming more and more like the one we love, namely Jesus. It is also an invitation to a contemplative life, to paying attention where we, where we don't go crazy trying to tear up our hearts ruthlessly pulling everything out, but rather we invite Jesus to join us as we walk through the garden every day, finding, noticing, identifying, and gently removing all of the weeds that have been growing there unaddressed. Please don't hear me saying that you need to be purified before you see God. That is not what this passage is saying. It's just saying you will see God more clearly, more often, with less effort, when you authentically look at your heart and willingly let him cleanse the impurities. If the water in your well is pure, 
it would consist only of H2O. If your heart's well is pure, it will only consist of L-O-V-E because that is the pure essence of God. If you've heard me speak before, there is a good chance that you know that herons have become a symbol for me of God's presence. And I've probably told you this story before too, but I'm just gonna tell you one more. So now just a year ago, Brad and I were driving down the highway, heading to a hospital in order for me to have yet another biopsy. None of what, remain, uh, what was remaining of my thyroid at the time. This being my third turn at a needle biopsy in my neck, I had no illusions that this would be easy. I was trying to look like this was no big deal, but my heart was troubled. Just a minute after getting on the highway, I noticed something to my left and I looked out my window and saw a heron between the two directions of traffic gliding alongside our car. That was enough to settle my heart and to know that God was with me on this day too. If I hadn't done some weeding in my heart, these kinds of experiences would not amount to anything besides maybe a coincidence or just a cool experience. I've recently been seeing God's truth in watching our maple tree go through the autumn rituals of coloring, changing colors and dropping leaves. I can see God in the seasons and in the weather and even in Bradley. I have a lot more stories to tell just like that. And I'm not special or any more special than any of you. If you wanna see God, enter your heart's garden with Jesus and begin to remove the weeds that obstruct the very things that you long to have growing there. Enter into this purposeful work. Let Jesus show you which things are weeds. Don't go all crazy and pull up everything that's green. Be mindful as you enter the garden and find Jesus first because he is most certainly there.